You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hey there, it's me again, Andrea Hang on the Money Talks podcast. Now, we've been going back to some investment basics recently. And today, I want to know more about ETFs. What are they? How do I get my hands into it? How should I pick the right ones? But before we wade into that topic though, I did want to talk about some quick headlines and how they can affect your money. And of course, my editor Tiffany Ang joining me in the studio to walk us through this. So, hey Andrea. Hey, everyone's been talking about Simply Go this week. Yes. Can't not talk about it. So, in summary, you can still go ahead and use your current older EasyLink and Nets FlashPay cards to travel, That's okay? Right. You can absolutely use them. They're value-based. This would make those of us who want to see how much we spend on transport happier because that yeah. was that was such a sticking point, mm-hmm. right? Being that able to see, see the card balance, yeah, right? Exactly. Well, speaking of being budget conscious, did you know that you can actually offset your public transport costs clocking your steps daily? Oh, the caveat here is that you have to own one of those HPB or Health Promotion Board fitness trackers. Oh, I've seen those, the black ones, right? Yes, mm. correct. You need to download their app and then you can clock your steps and earn health points. And if you look at the app, every 150 points will get you a $1 Simply Go e-voucher. Oh. So the more you walk, the more you can accumulate and offset some of your trips. A 150 points, easily done. Exactly. If, especially if you're a commuter, you're yeah, walking to and fro, you yeah. head out to lunch, that's exactly. already a lot of steps done. Exactly. Then you can use that exchange for vouchers, offset your transportation costs. I have an idea. If you happen to be in an empty MRT station mm-hmm. or an empty MRT train, keep walking up keep and walking down. Keep walking up and down. Yeah, <laughs> why not, a good right? idea, it's, yeah. It's, you, you get free transport money yeah. and you get to stay healthy at the same time. Yeah, I think exactly. it's a fabulous idea. Yeah, yeah, Win-win yeah, yeah, in yeah. my case. Does it work for the older EasyLink card though? Because you said simply go. Yes, correct. Mm. So it used to, but now only if you have the simply go EasyLink ah. card or a concession card. So there are several terms attached to it. I did look into the app. Mm -hmm. So if you have the Healthy 365 app, check it out. Okay, that's the one I'm going to download. Mm -hmm. Of course, we are also very, very close to Chinese New Year. And when I say very close, I mean two weeks away because two weeks are going to fly just like that. Mm -hmm. Tiff, have you started planning for the festive season? (laughs) Well, I have. The biggest thing on my mind, obviously, like everybody else, is food, which is a large part of our Chinese New Year gatherings. Mm -hmm. Right, So I want maximum savings with my groceries, especially since I'm planning to host a few meals at home. Another thing that I've been scheduling is beauty appointments. You and I are very familiar with that. But especially for me, because after two kids, the last thing I want is for (laughs) relatives to point out that I look like some auntie. Oh no. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I think you got it right. It's, it's like time. Maintenance. It's, yeah, it's, it's just maintenance, maintenance, right? It's yeah. scheduled maintenance, yeah. just like factories, yeah. where we have to go trim our hair, do our nails, do our lashes. I mean, the thing I don't like about this period and this time of year is the surcharges. Mm. I mean, I personally am against it. Yeah. It's all this extra cost, the CNY surcharge. I mean, some are charging as much as 10% on top of regular prices. Some are doing it in tiers. I did yes. my lashes recently. They're going week by week and it increases the price surcharge increases as the weeks go by ahead of CNY exactly exactly. so yeah businesses say yes this is to help them tide over that long break when they won't be Mm. open but I mean it still adds up to our budget man yeah so the tip here is to plan ahead Mm. so if you're agnostic 
on where you want to get your hair or your nails done, there are still places that don't impose this surcharge. Oh. Yeah, I went online and I saw try your neighborhood spots actually. Right. Yeah. So plus, if it's your first time there, you might even get a discount. Actually, that is a huge, huge pro tip, mm, right? Like a trial. Exactly. You know, Why not? Off. Right. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is whatever little you save can go towards the other big money drainer. What's that? The ang pals. Oh, I forgot about that. So you've read about it in the news. The US Securities and Exchange Commission, or more glamorously known as the US SEC, recently approved a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund, or ETF. Quite a mouthful, right? And no... Crypto is not what we're talking about today. But you can't deny that the news has also cast a spotlight on the OG, traditional ETFs. So we've had a number of episodes on Money Talks that mention ETFs in a broad sense and how they are a popular investment. If you are still in the dark about ETFs, well, today we are going to help you come, come into the light, okay? We promise that by the end of this episode, you will know your ETFs just like your ABCs. I'm not going to be doing this alone, of course. I'm sharing this very important task with Yap Jun Rong. He's market analyst at IG. Welcome, Jun Rong. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first and foremost... The 101, the ABC. What is an exchange-traded fund? Yes, so the short answer for exchange-traded fund, as you have read in the textbook, of course, they'll say it's a <laughs> basket of uh, stocks yep. or uh, securities, uh-huh. and then it's listed on the exchange, mm-hmm. and it's easily uh, tradable. It tends to track an underlying. Mm-hmm. So that is the sort of official uh, definition that you have read about it online. Mm-hmm. But when I explain it in a more fun way, I'll just say that an ETF is probably like a bowl of a Yong Tao Fu, for example. <laughs> I love this. Yes, so a little mix of everything okay. blend together into a bowl of your lunch. Yeah. So why is that so? Because, for example, if you have limited capital, maybe mm-hmm. just $5, you want to prepare your own lunch. Okay. okay if you go to the supermarket, probably you can get a tray of eggs or uh-huh. a packet of fish ball and you are pretty much done. Wow. Okay, but if you take that $5 and you head over to the Yong Tao Fu store, <laughs> you can actually get an egg, fish ball, vegetables, crab steak, maybe mm. a bowl of rice. Yeah. So it gives you exposure to a different ingredient. And of course, in the sense of the ETF, it gives you exposure to different stocks mm. with minimum capital outlet. I love this analogy, by the way. So if I were to take YTF or Yong Tao Fu, I'm basically exposed to all the different food groups and the different benefits that these food groups have yes. for me all in one bowl. And I can choose how much of each food group I want in that bowl. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love this. Okay. So give us a little bit of a history lesson on ETFs. Now, I'm not going to ask you for the technical right. specificities and all that. I know I'm not going to ask you for a timeline, but I just want to know how did they come about in the first place? I think it just comes uh, very naturally. I mean, uh, people are just wondering how can they actually be exposed to an index. Okay. So without an ETF, generally, you know, when you heard about index like the S&P 500, mm. the STI, if you want to gain exposure to those, you actually have to buy into the underlying stock. So let's take the STI, for example. Sure. If you want to gain exposure to the STI index, mm-hmm. without an ETF, probably you got to buy into the 
30 different constituent individually. Okay. Yes, that incurs cost. Uh-huh. That incurs a lot of effort. I don't think anybody <laughs> will want to do that. So I think I guess it's a very natural process where people are just wondering, how can we actually make this better? Uh-huh. And then they come up with this ETF. Right. So it's basically bundling them up all together and then offering them to investors in general. Okay, so that means there are different types of ETF baskets. Yes. There are different bowls of YTF. Of yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so what are the characteristics of an ETF? How do you know that it's an ETF in terms of how they perform in the stock market? Right, so an ETF is actually a single security. Mm-hmm. So if you actually are logging into your trading platform, yep. it's actually falls under a single ETF name or okay. a single counter. Okay. Okay, but once you click into that, and then if you explore the constituent, uh-huh. and then it actually encompasses a lot of maybe up to a hundred different kind of counters, of course, depending right. on the ETF that you buy. And counters are funds, right? Or are they just stocks or a mixture of both? It can be a mix of everything. Okay. So, of course, if you're looking at a stock ETF, uh-huh. uh, generally it encompasses a list of uh, different stocks. Okay. Of course, we have a bonds ETF, oh, different kind of bonds. Okay. We have a commodities ETF. Right. Yes. So, oh, that's why there's a gold ETF as well. Yes, that's right. Okay. So, when it comes to stock ETFs, how are they divided? Or is that down to how these platforms market themselves? Yeah, so I think we have to understand that the rationale for an ETF is to track. Okay, it's not to beat the markets. Got it. So it's just to track an underlying index. So okay. it could be your S&P 500. Okay. So its sole purpose is just to track as best as possible the constituent, the weightage that is in the actual S&P 500 Got index. It. So its aim is really not to mix and try to beat the S&P ah, 500. Okay. Yes. So who chooses what goes into each of these baskets, each of these ETFs? So it's really based on the weightage mm-hmm. in the individual index, for example. Okay. So if you look at the STI, okay, right. let's bring it over to the STI. Mm-hmm. For 45% weightage in your local banks. Yeah. So generally, if you buy into an STI ETF, you will expect their plus minus, there about that kind of exposure that you will have. Right. Okay. Okay. And is there a theme as to the kinds of ETFs that are out there? Yes. Yeah, so... The general notion is that there's an ETF for everything. Ah, okay. Yeah, so if you have a certain <laughs> view, if you like the US market, uh-huh. if you like the Singapore market, of course, there are ETF on that. Okay. If you like certain sectors, like you mentioned the tech sectors, mm-hmm. or you like the oil and gas sectors, there's ETF for that. Different wow. asset class, stocks, bonds, commodities, even currencies. It's really, it really is like a Yong Tau Fu buffet. It is. And what's <laughs> interesting is that there's actually an ETF on a meme stocks previously. Ah, so we yes, know I that, that. Yes, yeah, so back in like 2021, uh-huh. 2022, there's that meme craze. So yeah. there's actually an ETF being formed to track those uh, meme stocks that is being highlighted on uh, Reddit. Uh, of course, I must say that they actually shut down back in November last year yeah. due to dwindling investors' <laughs> interest. Yeah, that was a very short fuse that yes, did not last yeah. very long. And I understand now what a Bitcoin ETF is and why there is one. So robo-advisors, right, that tends to be where a lot of retail investors, individual investors like you and I turn to because that's where you can park your money in these ETFs. It's kind of like putting some of your eggs in one basket and then another few eggs in a different basket. How do I then select the platform to invest in an ETF, especially if I'm a complete beginner 
Yes, so when you're buying into an ETF, some of the key criteria that if you're just starting out, uh, probably I'll give it an acronym. Mm -hmm. And that acronym could will be just ETFs. Okay. Okay, easy to remember. Sure. Yeah, so for the E, it stands for expenses. Of course, when you're buying into something, you got to understand what are the costs involved. Okay. So the expenses for the ETF could come in the form of the expense ratio. You can think of it as the cost of just managing this group of uh, constituents. Okay. Okay, so generally it shouldn't uh, account for much, it should take up maybe less than one tenth of a percent. Mm. It shouldn't eat up too much into your return. Okay. So if you have one ETF that is maybe around one percent, you know, that is something you got to take a deeper look into. Okay. And of course, other expenses could be your commission because you're actually buying it off the market. So mm. you incur the usual brokerage fees. Okay. And other costs involved could actually be the tracking error. Ah. Okay, because an ETF tried its best to really replicate and to track an underlying index but Correct. you know sometimes it just it's just hard to replicate it 100% of course so there will be some deviation there you know it could potentially create some uncertainty how big can any of these errors be Usually, it will be, in terms of an average tracking error, it will be around a few tens of a 1%. Okay. So, it shouldn't really count much of your returns as well. Okay. So, if you see one that reaching around the 1%, 2% range, that is really something that you got to take a deeper look into. Okay. Yeah, so that is the E portion. Mm -hmm. So, the T portion is to take a view. Okay. Of course, like I mentioned, there are ETF for everything. Yes. So when you buy into an ETF, you got to take a view, take a market view, whether you want to be exposed to the US index. Got it. And then you'll buy an S&P 500. Got or it. Or if you just want to be exposed to Singapore index, then the STI ETF will be your preferred option. Okay. Yes. So for the F part, it's actually the firm that is behind the ETF. Ah, uh, the company. The company. Okay. Yes. So when you buy into an ETF, it's really like buying into a mutual fund. You mm. got to look for one that gives you that sense of security. So okay. probably you'll go for a stable brand name. Okay. okay for example, BlackRock, their iShares series, Invesco, Charles Swap. Mm. These are really uh, bigger brand names that they are very strong backing. They have a very long track record of bringing that stability to you. Okay. And when you park your money, those are names that you want to turn to. Okay. For a start, of course. Mm -hmm. Then the last part, S, that will be the fund size. Ah. Yes. Why the fund size is because how much asset the ETF has, the size of the ETF, may actually determine the liquidity in the market. Okay. Yes, because when you buy and sell an ETF, you know, you are going on the market, it's like buying your stock and shares. Right. You do not want to run into a situation where you actually want to sell your ETF holdings, but actually forced to get a more unfavorable price ah. just because the liquidity is not there. So the liquidity actually offers you flexibility with what yes. you want to do with your ETF. Yes, it gives you that kind of a liquidity mm -hmm. so that when you want to sell, you actually don't have to be forced to actually sell at a much lower price right. just to get that order done. Okay. So liquidity kind of matters, okay. especially when you are dealing with trading in the markets and that is where the size will actually play a part. When I trade an ETF or if I were to put my money in an ETF fund, what's the frequency that I have to sort of look after it? So some investments, I need to really be quite watchful. They're more volatile. Yeah. They are very sensitive. They're very market sensitive, for example, or they're economically sensitive versus things like safe haven assets, your T-bills, bonds, stuff like that. I don't really have to take a look at those. Do I need to have a lot of purview and oversight when I'm invested in an ETF? Yes, so generally an ETF is quite flexible. Okay. I mean, if you adopt a long-term view of the market, 
of course, you can adopt that buy and hold strategy okay. for a different ETF. For example, okay. a lot of people like to buy into the S&P 500. Yeah. Hold it in longer term. The average return is around 10 plus percent, mm. especially over 20, 30 years. So right. they are happy to actually buy and hold that okay. uh, ETF for the long term. Okay. But of course, we have those who like to be more active in the market. <laughs> yeah. They like to go short term. Uh-huh. Of course, they can turn to ETF as well. Okay. Okay. For example, they take on a certain uh, sectoral play. Right. So they believe that within this one or two years, that tech boom, that AI kind of hype is uh, going to blow up. They can buy into an AI ETF. Okay. And then just, you know, write on that team for this one, two years right. until they believe that, oh, I think a lot of value has been realized in the companies. Uh, I just want to profit take. They can actually do that. And EV ETFs also do the same thing. Yes. Right? I didn't even know there was an EV ETF <laughs> until my financial planner told me yes. about it. There's an ETF for everything. There is an ETF for everything. <laughs> what about bond ETFs? So you you really caught my curiosity here when you mentioned bond ETFs. Do they function the same way as bonds where I can put it in, I wait, there's a maturity period. Is that how bond ETFs work as well? So for bond ETF, so generally, of course, they track an underlying bond index. Mm. So they are gaining exposure into that different uh, bond holdings under that bond index. Mm -hmm. And when you look at bonds ETF, of course, the capital appreciation may not be as huge as what you expect right. under the, the stocks, okay. right? So by bond ETF, generally, people go for a dividend play. I ah. mean, when you buy into fixed income, generally, of course, there's a, a certain bit of capital appreciation, but of course, you are more focused on the returns mm-hmm. that you get from that fixed income asset as well. Okay. So that ETF also pay dividends to you. Right. So it's just really buying like a dividend uh, basket, for example. Oh, okay. So... If I'm starting from absolute zero, right, and an ETF is what I have chosen as my first play, how do I choose which one to put my money on? Say my investment personality as a newbie is slightly conservative. I want to see some gradual return. I don't need to be aggressive with it just yet. What do I go for? Yes. So generally, when you're just starting out, of course, you want to just gain exposure to the market. Sure. Okay, and when you gain exposure to the market, of course, there will be your stock market indices, okay. the major ones, mm-hmm. of course, like your US, yeah. your China, for example, some people prefer China. Yeah. So those are very broad views that you can adopt for a start. But once you are getting comfortable, or you think that you want to venture more mm-hmm. into cherry picking, okay. okay, you want to pick a certain sector mm-hmm. that you like. Thereafter, you can actually, you know, focus on those uh, sector ETFs or if you are even uh, widening your horizon across the different asset classes, then you can consider adding a little bit of go ETF to be a hedge, some form of an oil ETF. So those are something that you can explore. So once I decide that I want to ramp up my ETF play, what kind of homework do I need to do? Yes, so I mean, of course, when you buy into an ETF, generally you are taking a view, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, depending on what ETF that you buy, you are generally taking a view of the market, of the economy, of the next sectorial play, of the next uh, sort of in thing. Ah. You are trying to ride (laughs) on the next wave of potential returns, for Mm. example. So uh, you are essentially taking a view. So of course, you got to be, in a way, aware of what's going on around the economy. Ah. Yeah, what's going on in the markets. And what's going on specifically in that sector that you want to play in, right? Yes you got to have a certain level of understanding, right? Mm. Before you place your bet on the acceptor itself. Okay. Okay, that's good. So, when it comes to returns, so you talked about how bond ETFs gives you a dividend return. What other kinds of returns 
do ETFs tend to yield? And and what would you recommend as a time horizon? Yeah, so generally when you're starting out, of course, you will adopt a longer term uh, point of view. Mm, and mean, by longer term, how long do you mean generally? There's no one clear answer. I mean, it really depends on the risk appetite of uh, of an individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are um, relatively younger in age, okay. of course, you have that uh, time horizon to yeah. play around with mm-hmm. as compared when you are at retirement age. Yeah. Generally, you want to protect your capital. It's yes. your retirement sum. So, <laughs> yes. you'll generally be more defensive. Yeah. You wouldn't buy into, you know, or you'll just maybe just gain exposure to the broader S&P 500. You wouldn't want to place your bet on more risky things. Yeah. As compared to a young investor who is starting out, you have the time, mm. generally the interest as well right. to read out on certain sector. You okay. are more tech savvy as well. Right. So generally, you are more familiar with uh, okay. the trend, the social trend. So if I was a younger trend. person investing, what kind of time horizon would you recommend before I start to see some kind of yield result? I would say there isn't a fixed time. Okay. <laughs> of course, sure. that, 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 Is there a, a minimum very... though that I need to look at? Maybe I'll, let me just give you an example. Sure. For example, like you buy into an AI ETF. Over the past two years, mm. every month when you log in your account, generally you just see that gains keep increasing. Yep. So within one month, probably you're already sitting in the green. Okay, okay. Okay. But if you were to buy, you know, into a uh, Hang Seng ETF, mm. okay, over the past three years, you log in your account. Three years is a relatively long horizon. Yeah, it when is. When you log it in, you're still in double-digit losses. Ah. But if you believe that you will eventually recover, it's currently in this undervalued mm. state, etc., etc., yeah. generally you are willing to hold a longer period of time. How long it will take to go back to your break-even point, there isn't a specific time horizon mm, there mm, to, mm. to show that five years the yeah. Hansen will, will go back. It really depends on your sector call. Okay, understand, understand. So what kind of risks do I need to be prepared for? Okay, so when you're buying into an ETF, mm. so you're actually gaining exposure to hundreds of different securities yeah. that forms up that underlying index that the ETF aims to track, right? Mm. So I think one of the risks that investors have to understand is that when you buy into an ETF, there's really not, in a way, between the constituent that you pick and choose. It's not like a buffet, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you can go in there, you like this, you take more of this, uh, you like so that, you take like more of that. It's like a set meal. It's like a set meal, yes, <laughs> okay. exactly. So you cannot really pick and choose how much you want or what you want. Mm. For example, if you buy into the S&P 500 ETF, for example, mm. and then you don't like like maybe a certain counter, maybe like Microsoft, just throwing it out. Or if you think that Microsoft is too expensive but you don't like Microsoft, but when you buy into an S&P 500 ETF, generally you have that weightage. You cannot really ah, shift that. So you can't really customize yes. what's in the ETF. You just have to buy the ETF wholesale and if you see generally it has what you like or what suits you, then you'll have to just bite the bullet and if you don't like Microsoft and Microsoft is in there, you just got to bite the bullet. Yes. Okay. Are defensive stock ETFs, first of all, is there a thing? Yeah. Okay. So would that then also, where would that be on the scale? Say, if S&P stocks are on, I guess, the riskier counters, and then you have your bond ETFs, which lean closer to the safer, more stable ones, where would defensive stock ETFs lie on that scale? 
Yes. So, of course, within the S&P 500 itself, there are different sectors. Sure, yes. So, there's defensive sectors. I mean, your consumer staplers, mm. your healthcare, mm. your utilities. Mm-hmm. So, those are sort of a defensive, a more defensive kind of investment play. And then if you move on, there are those sectors that are more financially, more sensitive to market conditions. Right. More economically sensitive. Which ones and would they be? What are examples of so those? So, those could be like your consumer discretionary or financials. Ah. So, those generally, they move along with uh, the market cycle. Mm. So those are generally more, I would say, you know, more volatile, mm. uh, more risky in that sense. Okay. Yeah. Which brings me to my final question. Who are ETFs most suited for? I know that you mentioned who they're not suited for. Perhaps someone who is in their older age, they're retired, they don't really want to have riskier plays. So I guess outside of the age group, what other I guess personality traits must I have that makes me able to stomach an ETF investment. When you are probably at your retirement age, you just want a broader kind of exposure. So that is your usual, your market indices. Mm. Okay, and when you are younger in age, you want to have some form of a sector play, right. some uh, growth team play like the AI, the biomedical science, ah. space exploration. Mm. Then you are willing to stomach those kind of risks as okay. compared to one who just want to focus more on uh, capital preservation. Okay. So in terms of who it is actually for, generally, I believe that it is a great instrument for someone to get into the markets. Okay. Okay, so you just want to get into the market, yeah. but you don't just know, you know, feel the you just want to feel the water yeah. a little bit, you don't know, but you do not know, maybe you are not familiar with a reading on, on the company's financial uh, ah, statements. So it's those. like that bowl of Yong Tau Fu. You want to taste the soup first before you go and try everything else and bite into everything. Lah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you would recommend it as a sort of first exposure yes. for absolute newbies. Yes, you want to step your feet into the market, maybe just step one feet, mm. uh, and then you wanted to explore what investment is mm, like. Okay, mm. You can start off with an ETF, because in a way, it diversifies your risk. Right. I mean, when you buy into an ETF, you are buying into hundreds of different counters, for example, mm. and that naturally spreads your risk right. across these uh, hundreds of counters. So it is a relatively safer way to get started mm. and you can also adopt a market view. Okay, and where do I get started setting up an ETF investment? Trading an ETF is really like uh, trading your normal stock and shares. Okay. So of course, you have to have your uh, trading account. Mm-hmm. And then once you log in uh, during the market opening hours, yeah. so different ETF actually lists on different exchanges, mm-hmm. just like your stock and shares. Mm-hmm. For example, the STI ETF, mm-hmm. you got to log in during the SGX trading right. hours. Right. If you're in your S&P 500 ETF, then naturally you have to log in during US sure. trading hours. Okay. And it's really like your usual stock and shares. You search for the ETF name, the uh, ticker. Each of them will have their individual ticker as well. Mm-hmm. And then you just click into it and there's a very great price transparency. Okay. So you can see the prices sort of a trading live uh, right. during the opening hours. Mm. And yeah, if you don't want to do all of that, where can I go that does it for me? Robo-advisors, all these investment platforms, those give me access to ETF trading as well? In a way, yes. I think uh, Banks some- also? In a way, I believe some uh, robo-advisors, I think they, in a way, they help you in uh, figuring out your risk appetite. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they will figure out how much is your risk tolerance. Mm. And then from there, they will recommend you from portfolios. And within their portfolios, it really depends. Some of them could be buying into ETF. Mm. Some of them could blend a mix of mutual funds as well. Ah, So, in a way, they have that additional. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. What is the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund? 
Yes. <laughs> so an ETF is only role is to track. It's not to beat. Right. Okay, it's not to beat the yes, market yes, returns. Yes, yes, I remember that. Yep. And uh, if you are buying into a mutual fund, I believe that there are more uh, discretion mm. involved in the decision making from our uh, investment professionals. So in a way, when you buy into a mutual fund, you are sort of buying into the views that they have. So right. they can choose probably a certain company they believe more. Right. In terms of your potential, they allocate more. Uh, okay, but in terms of an S&P 500 ETF, you yeah. can't allocate more just because it's you like Apple. It's just broad. It's yes. just broad versus very specific or specific leanings. Yes. That's so, the key difference. So in yeah. a way, there are more discretion being involved in the decision making for a mutual fund. Understood. And of course, with that, the fees are generally ah, higher. Okay, okay. So that's something to bear in mind then. Because I used to be very confused because they are both funds. They yeah. both have the F at the end and I just thought they were all lumped together in the same category. So I'm so glad that I got you here to clarify <laughs> everything. Thank you so much, Jun Rong. You've been a really big help in clarifying what ETFs are, basically giving us the essential explainer on ETFs. Thanks for coming on Money Talks. No problem. Happy to help. Thank you. And a big thank you to you too, listener. If you liked this episode, you got to let us know, okay? Leave us a comment or a rating on wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you want to find us, we are streaming on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as YouTube. Now, the team behind Money Talks is Joanne. Chan, Tiffany Ang, Crispina Robert, Sayewind, and myself, Andrea Heng, and I'm off to get some Yong Tao food.